Good morning. It's coming up on nine minutes after five o'clock here on this Saturday morning. I'm Orion Samuelson, and this is our weekly get-together on the Saturday morning show. And every Saturday morning when I turn on my Reuters news machine, I never know what I'll be getting from that uh, news source. But I found an interesting note this morning. Oh, let me cover the numbers in the uh, coronavirus situation. These are the numbers as of last night. Here's what they're reporting. The uh, coronavirus deaths rise by at least 1,342 on Friday. That makes a total of 244,324 deaths. And coronavirus cases rise by at least 177,000 on Friday. And that brings it to a total of 10,760,000 in the latest report on the spread of coronavirus that is changing our lives every day. And as we come into the holiday season, no doubt in my mind, it's certainly going to change Thanksgiving dinners across the country and ultimately the holiday dinners and all of the other activity will be impacted by the continuing spread of the pandemic. So we'll keep reporting the uh, postponements and the cancellations that we continue to get, but probably all of those family get-togethers that have been planned and take place every holiday season will be impacted as well. So make a note of that. Weather-wise this morning, we're at 20, I'm at 25 degrees on my uh, thermometer here in Huntley, Illinois. No rain over the uh, night and uh, no rain in the rain gauge yesterday. So uh, it's a chilly morning, but uh, it may warm up just a little bit. And the other good news that I think we can report is the fact that most of the combines on farms here in the Midwest are parked and put away for the harvest season because the harvest is over 90% complete in both corn and soybeans. Those are the numbers that came out earlier this week. So uh, that Thanksgiving deadline to have the combine parked is uh, the situation on a lot of farms across the Midwest. Even despite the derecho that we had a couple of months ago that blew down a lot of the corn crop, but uh, farmers got it done, and uh, the machines are parked and greased and oiled and ready for the harvest uh, later on next year. So that's the good news. Oh, the other news that I find on my wire service this morning is another hurricane. Yes, we have another hurricane that is strengthening near Jamaica and uh, could be moving into the uh, Atlantic and the uh, Florida coastline. Yet another one, they told us at the beginning of the season that it would be uh, heavier than normal hurricane season, and I think we're certainly seeing that, and a lot of people are being impacted by the hurricane winds. 
Oh, and another thing, they added a new service to my uh, Reuters service this morning. I got uh, five pages of news from Cuba. It's labeled today's Cuba News, and uh, so that was added to my Saturday morning lineup of news, and uh, some, well, some interesting notes. First of all, I had the opportunity to travel with Governor George Ryan and the group of people who made the first government trip to Cuba at the turn of the century, so I got to meet people, I got to see what is going on since Russia moved into the island of Cuba. And so I keep an eye out for some of the news. And they're talking about uh, COVID-19 as well. The number of infections in Cuba to date, 7,487 people have been infected with the coronavirus. But one other note I found interesting, because when we uh, went down, we flew from Chicago to Havana. And then, of course, uh, as time moved on, more of an embargo against any kind of trade with Cuba uh, took place. But I did note in the Cuban news this morning, in case you're planning to fly there, all Cuban international airports reopened to commercial flights in mid-October, with the exception of the Jose Marti Airport in Havana, and that will finally open, uh, well, tomorrow, the 15th of November. So uh, the press release said Cuba is now one month into the new normal, at least almost the entire island since last October 12th. Most of the Cuba, Cuban provinces officially entered that status, which seeks to boost the economy after months of the coronavirus pandemic, although without neglecting the uh, surveillance and hygiene sanitary measures to prevent a new wave of COVID-19. So the island nation to the south of us uh, also impacted by the pandemic. So I thought I'd drop that to you in case you're planning a trip to Cuba. I still remember with a lot of interest uh, the people I traveled with in the uh, Governor Ryan group, and uh, the turn of the century was coming, and Cuba was getting ready to celebrate when we were down there. And uh, Uncle Bobby, who was alive yet at that time, uh, was part of the mission. And I remember going into a radio studio in Havana, Cuba, early in the morning to do a live broadcast from Havana and report on what was happening just 90 miles away from us in Cuba. So I pass that along to you. Never know what you're going to hear or see as we continue the news uh, around the world here on the Saturday morning show. Again, let me repeat, we're at 25 degrees on my thermometer in the backyard here at Havana. Skies are clear. It looks like a pretty good day as we go into the weekend. 
going to warm up a little bit, but uh, it's going to be chilly, too, with that 25-degree reading. Max Armstrong is uh, going to join us uh, here this morning on the Saturday Morning Show with an interesting guest who's a part of our TV show and a look at the uh, advances we're getting in machinery to do the harvesting and the planting of the crop. And uh, so let's check in with Max and his guest, Chad Colby, here on the Saturday Morning Show. Oria, this morning we thought we'd check in with our agriculture technology specialist, Chad Colby, who joins us every weekend on our television show, This Week in Agribusiness, to talk about what's coming along for farmers out there. And Chad, here of late, I know you have talked quite a bit about things that aren't just exclusively of interest to farmers, but others could apprise themselves of the knowledge and uh, utilize the technology, too. For example, you trotted out the new iPhones on our broadcast and talked about the attributes of those. Absolutely, Max. And for some of your listeners today, they may have got a new phone this week because Apple just announced, or they were publicly available this week, the bigger Max size phone and actually the mini size of the new iPhone 12. So, A lot of people get new phones in their hands just this week. The mini, that has to be hard to see the screen, right, in terms of uh, what you're putting on there with photos and text as well? You know, Max, you're right, but there's a pretty good demand for that because if you remember the very first iPhones, they were about the size of, a, I would say, a deck of cards, maybe a little thinner than that, but they were quite small. And I know a lot of people in agriculture haven't been really friendly to the bigger ones because the small one you could just throw in your pocket. Remember, we're past the flip phones now, and a lot of people like that smaller phone. Now, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for guys like you and me when we're doing all kinds of things, taking videos and pictures and stuff, but for the guy just using the phone to be a phone, the Mini is, is actually quite popular already. It's kind of neat. In addition to using it as a phone, in addition to taking photographs for the social media, as some farmers are wont to do, we we watch this uh, planting season back in the spring and harvest season and all points in between in the social media, thanks to those smartphones. But what are some of the other uses? I, I, I think, uh, for example, some farmers are analyzing uh, foliage are they not uh, taking a look at the leaves of their plants yeah without question max i think it's um it's really hard today to underestimate what you can do with the phone there's attachments you can put on your phone if you want to use thermal cameras which are, are really neat and very inexpensive and i think it's important to realize just the sheer power in the device and what i mean by that is you know if you're if you bank with bank of america for example You know, you can take a picture of the front and back of your check and make deposits right from the cab of your pickup truck. And all the manufacturers, especially in agriculture, have really polished up their applications to work on a smartphone. And maybe that's your seed dealer or your equipment provider or, like I mentioned, your bank. It really gives you instant access right there in the palm of your hand. The the biggest challenge, and and Max, you and I hear it a lot. We're not going to hear it in, uh, in Chicago by any stretch of the imagination, but... There's still a lot of places in the country that don't have great cell service. And I think that's the real challenge with some of these devices in a lot of parts of the country where you and I know farmers struggle even with connectivity to this day. Well, we found out this year that in many rural areas still do not have good high-speed Internet access. That That is a gap in our 
technology, our communication ability. And I'm not talking about remote areas of the plain states. I mean, there are areas right within the, the sound of our voices where it's hard to get a good hot hit on the Internet, I hear from farmers. Oh, Max, you're 100% right. I know when I travel in western Illinois and southwestern Illinois, I'll be honest with you, I stay as close as I can to the big road because (laughs) you don't have any cell coverage if you get just off the beaten path. And that's cell phone coverage. Forget about household home Internet. And um, it's a growing concern. It's been a growing concern to the USDA. They've They've done a fair amount of things in the last couple years trying to enhance that, but it's still got a long ways to go just to make it the the simple internet accessible to everyone here in the U.S. It's been interesting to see sometimes agriculture retailers and farmer cooperatives have been trying to help fill the gap a little bit. They've they've brought a bus or a truck or something and sat it next to their co-op and, and people, students, for example, can come in there and sit and do their homework via that internet node that is right there with them. Uh, so they've, they've tried to fill the gap some. I was really interested in our broadcast this weekend. You trotted out a new drone. You've been a proponent of agriculture unmanned aircraft long before it was fashionable and many of the prices on those have been up there in the stratosphere it seemed like but there is one now that you were pointing to that could be had i believe you said for well under one thousand dollars yeah absolutely it's an exciting time the the challenge has been max and you touched on it is when we get these drones that are two three thousand dollars they do an amazing job and if you go back four or five years it was easy to spend that kind of money and get really lackluster performance. Now, two to $3,000 gets you amazing performance. But to be quite honest with you, to go from zero to 3000 is a pretty big step. And there's never really been a drone in that class in that seven $800 range, well under 1000 bucks that could perform. And, and DJI just came out with a new one. And Max, you'd be proud of me. I took it out earlier this week when we had that cold front move through the area and took it out in conditions that, quite honestly, I don't recommend anyone. I wanted to see where this thing's weak point was, and it performed beautifully. There's footage on it on This Week in Agribusiness this week. You can go check it out. This little guy works really good, works right with your phone. Couldn't be happier with finally we've got a system that for seven eight $800, and that's with a case and batteries and all the stuff you throw on your smartphone, and you've got a drone that works really good for video and stills. And, you know, if you're in the real estate business or construction or agriculture or have a ranch, whatever it might be, what a great tool. And it's, that's exciting to see. It seems like it's taken a long way to get there, Max. Again, who makes that one, Chad? That's a DJI drone. DJI is the brand. Well, maybe one of these days I'll see a need for that. You've led me like a lemming right down the path to smartphones and GoPros, and I haven't yet taken that plunge on a drone. You know what, Max? I'm still super proud of you, and your listeners will be too, that when the new phone came out, you were right there for the upgrade this year, and let me tell you, I couldn't be prouder. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Always appreciate the visit. Chad Colby, the pride of Bureau County, Illinois, having grown up in that area around Princeton, Illinois, joining us here this Saturday morning, Orion. All right, Max, it's 24 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And yes, while I've enjoyed uh, many hours of flying in the Cessna 210, still don't have a drone in my library, but it sounds like I'm going to have to get one because it, it will work, and it certainly is working for a lot of farmers and ranchers. But let me repeat, as uh, one who flies in a private airplane, 
Be sure you follow the rules on where and how you can fly the drones. You can't do it in airport space because we've heard of some near collisions with airplanes and drones. You can't see them very well from the airplane if you're in a small general aviation plane. So uh, if you do have a drone, and the drone is going to be a useful a tool for agriculture, particularly for large acreages where the cattle on ranches, and because you can spot those cattle a lot easier than you can riding a horse through the uh, ranch country to uh, try to find the uh, livestock that may be missing. So be careful and follow the rules, please, because don't want you colliding a drone with an air, uh, airplane of any size or any kind. The uh, Illinois Farm Bureau newspaper arrived on my desk yesterday, and here is another cancellation. The 2021 Illinois Farm Bureau Young Leader Conference scheduled for January 22 and 23 in East Peoria has been canceled due to the ongoing COVID-19 situation. Jenny Webb, who is the Member Services and Public Relations Program Manager, noted the decision proved difficult said we will not be replacing the conference in a virtual format. One of the main benefits of attending the Young Leaders Conference is the in-person networking and relationship building, and that unfortunately cannot be easily duplicated in a virtual setting. The Young Leader Committee hopes to offer some various virtual engagement and learning opportunities in the coming months, and there will be more information on the Illinois Farm Bureau Young Leader Conference and when it will be held and how it will be held and where it will be held, because that has been the case with the activities in agriculture County fairs, state fairs, farm progress show, the other outdoor farm shows, all impacted by the COVID-19 situation. And uh, all of them, well, I shouldn't say all of them, but many of them will be virtual. And how I dislike that word, as I mentioned a week ago, one of my least favorite words at the moment. And not only that, but uh, our convention, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, normally held uh, next week in Kansas City, Missouri. And all of us farm broadcasters would uh, make the trip to Kansas City to compare notes and take a look at the latest uh, technology that we have to cover agricultural events for radio and television. That will be virtual this year. Next week, uh, I'll not be there, and I would guess a few other people will not be there too. But that's just the story about 
agriculture and the agricultural activity. 28 minutes after 5 o'clock, it's 25 degrees on my thermometer in Huntley, Illinois, and we'll continue on the Saturday morning show. It's 23 minutes before 6 o'clock, 25 degrees on my thermometer in Huntley, Illinois. And as we go into the weekend, yeah, still some college football around, and uh, there'll be the NFL around for this weekend. And uh, as we approach the Thanksgiving Day week, uh, we will be getting ready for the holiday season. And it'll be a good deal different this year, but there's one thing that will be the same out in DeKalb County, and I was glad to see this in the Farm Bureau News, out in DeKalb County, the Kaufman family, we know them for the Hokey Turkey Farms, they're still producing, and I'll be talking about some of what they're doing to get ready for the holiday season as they grow how many 60,000 turkeys on their farm in DeKalb County. So uh, that will be the same. We will have some of the traditional foods, but uh, family gatherings are indeed going to be different. Time for us to say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion Samuelson taking a look at who the agricultural leaders will be in the Biden administration. At the very outset of this discussion, my final one of the presidential campaign and election for this year, let me say that my only role in the election was to cast a ballot. I did not campaign for any candidate. I did not offer views on my feelings about the candidates for the White House, so I'm not qualified to comment further on that situation. But let me offer some advice to the new administration, particularly as it involves the Secretary of Agriculture. Who should that person be? I'm sure there'll be many candidates And at this moment, I would offer for consideration Colin Peterson, the Democrat from Minnesota who lost his congressional seat in the election, and he was serving as chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. I've known Colin for many years and have interviewed him many times, and I've always been impressed by his knowledge of agriculture, agriculture policy, and agricultural legislation. And there are many basic reasons why his experience is important. And here's the most important. We write a new farm bill every five years. And the next time we have to write a farm bill is in the year 2023. We should start planning right now because it takes a while to put it together. So whoever the Secretary of Agriculture might be, I would offer the suggestion that he or she do what Mike Johans did when he was appointed several years ago to become Secretary of Agriculture. Mike traveled to many states across the country 
to talk to farmers and ranchers, but more importantly, to listen to agricultural producers to find out what they would want in a farm bill. So to you people who are farming or ranching, producing food and agriculture, be sure to participate if that should happen again with the new secretary. That's the only way to get your views and have your voices heard by the person who will be guiding the debate of the Farm Bill in 2023. Until we get further information, those are my suggestions on Samuelson Says. And I'd be interested in your suggestions on who you would like to see as the new Secretary of Agriculture, replacing Sonny Perdue, who will be leaving that office when the new administration moves in in January. So going to be some interesting times and some interesting discussions, and uh, your input will be important because it will help guide writing that farm bill in 2023 that'll be here before you know it mike pearson is standing by because he is the gentleman who looks after the market activity and uh, so we'll be joining mike and jerry gulke when we come back here on the saturday morning show Jerry Gulke from the Gulke Group is joining us this week. And Jerry, this past week was a doozy with the supply and demand estimates from USDA. Do you want to bring us up to speed? What happened? Well, they surprised a lot of people. And uh, certainly, you know, based on their history of of, uh, being cautious about doing some things that are radical, so to speak, they were behind the eight ball. You know, for a couple of years, they keep coming up and saying, well, uh, we, we lost 300 million bushels of corn and so forth. And a lot of us were saying, if you get your act together and 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 uh, and show your predictions or whatever up front, think of what we could have got for prices if we'd have known we had three or four hundred million less bushels of corn and so forth and beans as well. Well, they caught up uh, on on the report and actually really boosted exports to China. Admitted finally that the sales to China didn't match up with their projections, and uh, the shocker was in soybeans that they brought soybeans that way below what the trade thought. And we're down below 200. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking 900 for years to come, and uh, just how how quick things change. So this looks like a, a a permanent change, at least as permanent as we can get for about a year to come. Well, I, I think that's on a lot of growers' minds. Let's talk soybeans. There, you mentioned the 190 million bushel carryout down substantially from just this past spring. Now, when you look ahead, Jerry, how much more can this thing rally? Farmers are getting excited about beans in the teens. Is that in the cards? Well, that's a possibility, and it re- and it depends on, of course, weather in South America. It's um, not favorable, but it, they're going to get some showers in the next seven to ten days, and as the weathermen will say, more will be needed, and that's obvious because we farm. We know we need more than just a, a shower here and there, but much much more um, problems. I'd say towards the end of November, you're going to run out of time, and there are there are uh, exporters and there are people uh, who've got a lot of money betting on the markets are saying that you could. You could project zero stocks coming out of the United States, which is impossible. There's a pipeline in there, and I think we're very close to pipeline. Pipeline might be, you know, stocks and transits to wherever, threshing plants and exporting areas. Uh, we're probably very close to that. So this is uh, going to get uh, uh, stay volatile, and we're going to see pullbacks, profit-taking, and, 
and but I think the underlying demand out here has uh, changed and and translates uh, you know well well beyond this uh, uh, South America crop. So we have to watch that. And is China going to continue to buy? And we've been kind of promoting the idea that month, for months ago that you know <clears throat> it's high time that the buyers of our products, whether it's uh, wheat and corn and soybeans, uh, take on some of the burden of carrying some of the stocks rather than us carrying the the bulk of the world stocks. And why don't you buy for strategic reserves in case, in, in case COVID comes back again? And uh, I think we're seeing some of that. There's probably a danger that you front end load this thing, but China's demand is for real. So. The demand is for real, but we have seen China in the past cancel substantial orders and then buy on the dip. Is that a risk you see in the year ahead, or do they really need beans that badly? Well, I don't think you want to slap... Um, uh, President-elect Biden in the face if he does become president and uh, and ruin that, you know, you're going to want better better relations. <clears throat> there doesn't seem to be a reason for them to cancel it. The crushing, the crush works same way in the corn. The corn is very high priced in, in Russia or in China, and we are very competitive in that route. So I don't see them canceling anything uh, if they do so to become later next summer. You mentioned we are down nearly to pipeline supplies in the soybean market. Corn ending stocks also getting tighter. What's the market's uh, reaction to Tuesday's USDA report? Been on the corn side. Well, we saw a, a big jump, of course, in prices, and it kind of uh, shocked us uh, that we would increase uh, exports that much. Some oftentimes uh, USDA will gradually do it, but when you look at that number, uh, it implies that we better get on the stick and be shipping some of this stuff out of the country because. Uh, from here on out, in order to meet that lofty number that USDA says is there and maybe gets bigger because they lowered the Ukraine crop much more than I thought they would at one shot. And um, other, uh, there's a problem, of course, we mentioned in South America, that crop could be, they've already started to trim that, even though we haven't proven that we have a, a weather problem totally yet. But um, if we're going to meet those projections, we're going to have to start shipping 50 and 60 million bushels a week. We, right now, we're in the mid-30s at best. So we're, we're selling it, but we're not moving it out of the country. So that smacks either of, a, of a, a real surge in exports and demand for corn to be, uh, to be shipped uh, later on in, in, in the beginning of part, we'll say Q1 of 2021, about the time that uh, maybe the uh, soybean export book gets filled and, and, and starts to slow down. But it's going to be a tall order to move this much corn out of here, which smacks of, at some point in time, maybe they have to admit that the exports are too high. Gotcha. Well, speaking of exports and first quarter 2021, we will have a new president by all accounts. When we uh, look back on this election, President Biden, what do you anticipate? What does the market anticipate that doing for pricing and the trade war? Well, there's not a lot that he can do in the short run except make some executive orders and so forth. But I think from a trade standpoint, he's basically more moderate and there'll be less tweets, no tweets probably, and certainly no more tariffs. So that kind of takes the pressure off China. Now, whether China says, well, we don't need to buy any more for strategic reserves or we'll want to make nice with Biden and, and put our best foot forward to get back into a decent relationship, that's one thing. The other thing is... Um, uh, the, the push towards uh, the anti-oil type of thing. Uh, it sounds like uh, he's got an issue for alternative fuels that may really help biodiesel. There's a new way of, uh, of uh, formulating biodiesel that's more palatable, I guess, and California is behind that big time. And I think I've heard numbers from my oil friends that 
it could uh, significantly replace the fracking uh, that's going on in North Dakota with the, the need for soybean oil and is probably agricultural positive. So we'll see how that plays out, whether we really lose much fracking. But this will take some time. But the biodiesel thing is real. It's going on in Europe already and uh, not talked about a lot by by traders and another supportive factor in soybeans that cropped up here in the last six months. Yeah, and Jerry, before we let you go, we've got to talk the wheat market real quick. It didn't get a whole lot of shocks on Tuesday from USDA. Where do you see wheat going from here? Well, wheat is going to, I think, is going to follow along with corn. You know, the traders like to take a look at what's good and what's mediocre, and, and they like spreads. And they have been buying uh, or selling wheat and buying corn and beans. And they still are still a little short wheat, I think. And uh, we've got some problems in the wheat market. Uh, Euro- European Union would like to would like to um, buy corn, but it's expensive. And if they go after feed wheat, or South Korea is another one, they like to feed wheat. And if they can't get it, uh, then uh, if they can't get the corn, then they're going to go after the wheat. So wheat is at a critical point, I think, here this week. It's it's on upward drawn trend lines, and we'll see what happens over the weekend with rain. Every weekend is always, you know, how it is in the United States. Uh, it's never going to rain again on a Friday and Monday morning we're raining. So we got to be careful of those weather markets. Things can turn on a dime. Jerry Gulkey from the Gulkey Group. And before we have to say goodbye on this Saturday morning, let me go back to the Kaufman family in DeKalb County, featured in this week's issue of the Illinois Farm Bureau News Farm Week publication. Because we have talked about the Kaufman family for years because they have been producing turkey for years. But here's the update from the story in the Farm Bureau Farm Week newspaper that came across my desk this week. Fresh turkeys are available for families' Thanksgiving Day feasts. And that's especially important this year because a lot of us are not going to be traveling. But on that uh, acreage in DeKalb County near Waterman, the Kaufman family uh, grows about 200 acres of corn. That's ground for feed and 140 acres of soybeans and wheat. And they produce about 60,000 turkeys annually near Waterman in DeKalb County. And they're doing that again this year. So that's one thing that will not be different for the holiday season. And thanks to Robert Kaufman and his family for the many years that they've provided a lot of holiday turkeys. As we take a look at closing prices for the week at the Chicago Board of Trade, Here are the numbers on Friday when we ended the trade. The December wheat contract was up four and a half cents a bushel. December corn up a penny a bushel. And the January soybean contract traded up two and a half cents a bushel. And at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, closing prices on livestock, all pretty red on my screen. December lean hog contract down 92 cents a hundredweight on Friday. The December live cattle contract down a dollar 87 on Friday. And the November feeder cattle contract down two and a half dollars a hundredweight at the close on Friday. So that's how we ended the trading session in grains and livestock at the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. 
and uh, looking at our soybean neighbors to the south, to Brazil, uh, I received this note this week. A super soybean harvest is ruled out for the 2021 season in Brazil's biggest grain state, Mato Grosso, because of the lack of rainfall at critical times to push that soybean crop forward. We're out of time, as happens every week about this time here on WGN Radio. But again, thank you.